Thank you for that beautiful prayer, Steve. Um, it really, in God's providence, aligns with the kind of things we're going to be talking about this morning. We'll see that in just a minute. Uh, so, uh, I just want to begin by sharing with you something that uh, my, my girls shared a song with me not too long ago, a uh, wonderful contemporary Christian song. I guess it's called I'm So Blessed. That's what it says over and over. But uh, there's one line in the song that uh, says, On my best days, I'm a child of God. And on my worst day, I'm a child of God. And I want to say to you this morning, uh, you may have come here on your best day. If you did, you're a child of God. You may have come here on your worst day. And if you did, you're a child of God. We are so blessed. Let's invite the Lord to be with us now. Oh, Lord, open, open my mouth to speak your word. And open all our hearts to receive it by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we started diving into the Ten Commandments. We just looked at the first three. We talked about how there are different ways to number them. You can get up to as many as 13 if you separate them out. So 10 is not the most important thing, but we're, we're dividing them up uh, according to, to 10 here. And we looked at the first three then last week. And uh, you remember we talked about how the central thing of these first three commands is that God is God. And nobody comes before God. He's first. And uh, we don't minimize him by making idols. Even of him. If we were to make idols, images, statues of God, we would inevitably demean him. And we don't make images. And then we talked about how uh, we don't take the name. Notice it doesn't say speak the name. But it says you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not just about speaking, but it's about living in such a way where we don't do justice to his beautiful name, where we make it a vain thing that he has given to us his name. These three all go together. You see, God is God. He's first. We don't worship anyone else or anything else. Instead, we live life in a way that represents him in the world so that the nations don't blaspheme that name, so that they look at his people and say, he's a good God. Those are the first three that we have right there. I'm going to spend most of my time today on the fourth one. And that may seem at first to you like it's unnecessary, but I hope that it will be beneficial as we get into it. Before we do that, I just wanted to briefly mention the others. Oh, and it looks like, hey, we're down to eight commands, guys. I didn't even know it. Uh, this is uh, what, we've, what we've done here in, in our church. Uh, no, I don't, know, I don't know where the other two went. Okay, so we'll just mention them anyway. Um, uh, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall, shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet. Okay, those are the last two that aren't up there. Um, I cannot do justice to all of these commands and uh, still keep my job because I would talk so long that it would be, it would be over with. This would, take, it would just be way too long. So I, I uh, am just going to briefly mention these others here. Honor your father and your mother. That is a, a statement that we sort of uh, take for granted and we think, oh yeah, yeah, we should, uh, we should show some respect 
But I don't think we should assume that everybody in the world has always known this and always done this. Honor, a lot of times in history, is given to people who stand out, to people who excel, the great ones. And God calls us back to the people who are right in front of us. And says, honor your father and your mother. This includes showing respect. And you see, when we start with respect in the home, now I know we get into difficult issues here that I don't have time to address in detail. Issues like, what do you do if your parents are not honorable? And how do you protect yourself from parents who are abusive or neglectful or just plain out dysfunctional? And all of that Jesus would want us to do. And let's set that to a side right now, because like I said, we can't address all that in detail right now, but we can just say the command is still there and it's still important. And let me just say that if we don't start with respect in our homes, we will likely not have respect outside our homes. And we have a culture today that largely, in a way, is is almost reversed because we've developed a cult of youth in our world. And we honor youth, and we don't honor the adults or the older ones. And the scriptures repeatedly call us to honor the older ones. And so let me just encourage you, Uh, to teach your kids and your grandkids respect. You will be giving them a gift if you do that. And you'll be giving our world a gift. This is a good thing for our world. You shall not murder. the, The word kill is really too broad because the Old Testament makes allowances for killing, but it certainly does not want people going around doing it whenever they want to do it. In war, there was killing. I'm not a pacifist. I believe there are occasions when uh, killing can be justified, but they should be the extreme cases. And the reason for that is the great value God gives to human lives. My girls and I recently watched a movie on Daniel's recommendation called 13 Lives. The true story of what happened just a few years ago, well, was it Taiwanese? I think it was the Taiwanese kids. 13 uh, kids got got, uh, uh, stuck in a cave and it flooded and their, their lives were in danger. And it was amazing and beautiful how all the other human beings started doing everything they could to save those kids. And if it hadn't been for the work of, I don't know how many tons of people doing things to divert the water from the floods, people who risked their lives and one eventually died, diving through the caves to go save these kids. You know why? Because they all knew intuitively, they didn't need a class on it. They knew intuitively those lives are so valuable because they bear the image of God in the world. Nothing else does that. And so we save them. What a tragedy it is then when people decide that they can snuff out a human life. That they can do the opposite of what those people did to save those 13 lives. The Lord is telling us you will not treat human lives that way. You will not dismiss and disregard this beautiful thing that I've made to represent me in the world. And this is what really all of these commands connect to, is the, the value of human life, and, and of course, the starting with the great value of God, and, and then the, the value that he used into human life. You shall not commit adultery. You don't destroy families. 
You don't satisfy your lust at the expense of other people's families. Again, this is about caring for people, right? These aren't random rules. This isn't God making life hard for people because he doesn't like people. Testing them to see if they can make it. This is God loving the world. Don't do stupid stuff. That's what we can summarize the law is that. I love what something Paul told me one time about his own life and his own conversion. He said, I'm never going back to stupid. That's a, that's a good summary of, of the life outside of sin. We're not going back to stupid. The, the law comes to us and says, don't do stupid stuff. You shall not steal. I mean, imagine if we lived in a world where we could trust that people don't steal. This means that every time Olivia lost her purse, it would be returned. Every single time. We would have to worry about somebody stealing our identity, canceling credit cards. or anything. Imagine how beautiful that life would be. That's what it's meant to be. You shall not bear false witness. Initially, that's about a, a courtroom environment where you don't uh, bring a charge against somebody that's not true, but it quickly in the Old Testament gets expanded to telling the truth. You don't try to hurt people by manipulating the truth. That's what that is. Again, this is not some rule out there in the sky that God tests us with. The, the, the fact is we often take advantage of people by lying, and we advance ourselves by lying. God says don't do that. Speak the truth. And then the last one gets down to the heart. Man, if we had, a, in fact, I may come back towards the end of this series and just talk about the law and, and its relation to our, our obedience. There's so much to explore here. This is the one, do not covet. This is the one that Paul says in Romans 7, he got to and he didn't know what to do with it. It killed him because it went beyond the outside. It got right down to the inside. See, God cares not just about what we do on the outside. He cares about us coming to have his heart and to act in the world, not just on the basis of rules out there, but on, on our desires and feelings being transformed so that it comes from within us. So you don't even covet other people's stuff. You don't covet their donkeys. If you've been covenant, coveting people's donkeys, you need to stop it. Right? Or anything else that's theirs. Because you are satisfied in God. And you know his goodness and kindness. And so you don't look around you constantly thinking, if I just had that. And that is what prepares you to act for it. That inward desire. This is what really Jesus does with, with, with the whole law when he comes on the scene. He takes it and he takes it a little bit deeper. Really where it was always intended to go, though. This is why the law is a beautiful gift from God. You, you, do not murder. Yes, don't even let anger settle in your heart towards people. Because that's where murder comes from, you see. Do not commit adultery. Yes, don't even let lust. Don't cultivate that and let it settle in your heart. Because we want to have the heart of God. This is what these commands are for. But now I want to take you back after that just brief running through those. And hopefully over the, over the time here, we're going to just reinforce these things and talk about them in, in, in detail. But uh, I want to take you to the fourth one because the fourth one is the one we usually leave out. And uh, it's, okay, it's, it's understandable that we do that because the New Testament leaves it out. Mm -hmm. um, but I want, to, I want to explore with you whether or not we ought to give it another hearing, okay? Just hear me out on this and I assure you, all I would like to do in what I'm saying to you today is bless you. That's all I'd like to do is give you a blessing. Observe the Sabbath day. Let's just, let's just read it here. 
verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right? Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. You can't just stop your work and then tell your kids to do it on the Sabbath. Your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, your animals, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, let me just say something to you before we dive into that about time. We cannot live without thinking about time as human beings. Have you ever realized that? It's a uniquely human capacity. My dog does not know whether it's Monday or Tuesday. And he's a decently smart dog. I mean, he's, he's medium, you know. <laughs> but I don't think any, anybody's dog, even you as the smart dogs, I don't think they know whether it's Monday or Tuesday, right? And they don't care. But human beings do. Have you ever noticed when you find somebody, on, or, or if you've seen a movie like this, or read a report about somebody, they, they've been found on an island or floating out at sea and they've survived, and the, when somebody shows up, the first thing they'll ask is, what day is it? Or they'll find them, they've been marking in a tree the days to keep up with time. Why do they do that? Why not just say, oh, I'm out here, I'm all alone, don't see anybody. Just going to not worry about time. It's like we can't help it. Not only do we necessarily exist in time, but we necessarily exist with an awareness of time. It's almost, maybe if we tried, we wouldn't, but it's almost inescapable. We are always just moving in time and thinking about it. We mark days and seasons and years. We, we think about Thanksgiving. And it's not just that we have a certain day of the year that we do it, but it's that it's, it represents a season. It brings back memories. We have certain smells and decorations and, and, and certain things that we look forward to because it's Thanksgiving, right? We mark the time. That's what we do as human beings. If time is one of the dimensions of life in which we live, not only in which we live, but it, of which we always are aware, don't you think God might want to claim that for himself? God might want to say, pay attention to time and know that it is mine. And maybe even know that it is my gift to you. Since we cannot live without an awareness of time, Centering time on God becomes an important part of spiritual life. And let me just ask you, you might just pause and think about a given week. What in your week speaks to the fact that God is in charge of your time? If somebody could just watch a silent film of your life without your explanations and just watch you live what would they observe in your week that says, God is the centerpiece of my time? Would they, if they just observed your time, would they identify you as a person who has God at the center of your life? See, we tend to, speak, we tend to think of time as ours. What if it's not ours? And we tend to think in our society especially that staying busy is a great virtue. 
What if it's not? Now, please don't misunderstand me. Before we go any further, some of you in your minds are already here. I'm not saying don't work hard, okay? Hard work's important. But that's different than being obsessed with staying busy. So we have two strands of thought in the Bible about the Sabbath, and this, this may lead to some of the confusion and the trickiness of talking about it. One is the first strand that it's super important. It's in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and that, uh, at the start, should tell us this is important. It's the only one, as we've said, that, that doesn't uh, get our focus anymore. On the other hand, we have the fact that it's not mentioned in the New Testament as something we need to do. And in fact, it's explicitly uh, sort of set aside. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Don't let anybody judge you about whether or not you keep the Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So it leads to this kind of difficult question. How does something that seems to be really important get so easily dismissed when it comes to the New Testament? We, you know, we have a change in things when we come to, to the New Testament, the Christian life. Uh, male circumcision, for example, is no longer needed because it's fulfilled. It was an identity marker for the people of God, but now the gates have opened up. And, and uh, Jew and Gentile are coming together in Christ. There's no longer that need. It pointed to something else. It pointed to fulfillment of God's people who had circumcised hearts, ultimately, hearts that were tender and sensitive to God. It is fulfilled in Christ. We no longer have to obey that as a command. Uh, uh, you could look at things like the sacrifices. The sacrifices are no longer needed because Christ is our sacrifice. Right? They're very important, but, but Christ is our sacrifice. They, 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 it's been, the sacrifices have been fulfilled in Christ. But what about the Sabbath day? It doesn't easily fit with that kind of explanation. Well, maybe it does to an extent. Here, here's the thing. We're going, I'm going to uh, just briefly explain this. If you want to talk to me more about it afterwards, feel free to. The Sabbath functions, I think, on two levels, okay? It's its practical significance to us, and it's its, the symbolic significance to us. It had a symbolic significance N.T. Wright has a chapter on this in one of his books, and he argues that just like the temple was sacred space to the Jewish people, so the Sabbath was sacred time. And he combines it in, in the chapter looking at other feasts in, in the Old Testament and showing that they pointed forward to another day. Right? But Jesus came, and Jesus came and acted like the temple was with him wherever he went. So you don't have to go to the temple for sacred space. Sacred space is being spread out by the Holy Spirit of God. The Sabbath, then, as sacred time, was pointing to that it was a day of rest, a day of holiness. We'll talk more about it specifically, understanding what it is. But, but it pointed to a day when God's rest was going to be granted to the world. Right? And you rested in anticipation of the future. That symbolic significance, then, we could say has been fulfilled in Christ, who brought the rest of God to our world. And I think when we see scriptures like this, we say, yeah, okay. It has been released in that way. And so we don't bind it as a law on people. And if you, whatever you hear me saying today, I'm not binding the Sabbath as a law on you. I don't think it has to be done on the seventh day. I think there's a lot of flexibility in how you do it. I think we, we should look for principles and look for learning from it. 
but it's clearly, the New Testament clearly loosens it in terms of a binding obligation on the people of God. That's where I am in my understanding. I'm still growing in understanding this, uh, and I'm still wrestling with issues, but, but this is where I am right now. We understand why it's removed in symbolic significance, and, and we say, okay, that, that makes some sense. But that doesn't mean then we just ignore all practical benefit or all the re- other reasons God may have given for us keeping the Sabbath, for giving us the Sabbath. And so this is where I would say to you that Sabbath day, keeping of the Sabbath day, is a matter of wisdom rather than law. Okay? And when we think about what's wise, we should always say, what do we learn from God's law? If his law was given, you know, we look through all those commands. It was given to protect us and to bless us and to give us good things. Maybe the Sabbath day fit right in with all of that. Maybe it was meant to bless us and protect us and to help us. And maybe there's reasons for us to think about keeping it in principle. Now, here's where I want to point you to the words of Jesus. He said it in passing. It's one of those things you wish you could have him just flesh out in detail. But it's a very significant statement, I think. We won't go into the details of the controversy, but as he's explaining things, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the point is not for you to get all your legalistic rules around it and say, look, I did it right. The point is, God wanted to give you something. See, when I grew up, I was so thankful. I used to think about it. I'm so thankful I don't have to keep the Sabbath day. It sounded to me like a 24-hour timeout. Oh, great. Put my nose in the corner for 24 hours because that's what God likes for his people to do. Glad for the New Testament. (laughs) That's the way I thought of it. I just didn't understand And I didn't understand the heart of God because that's not what God does to people. You can trust that God never just puts burdens on people just because that's what he likes to do. He made the Sabbath for human beings. You see, when when we say, oh, yes, I don't have to keep the Sabbath day, we could even rephrase that and say, I don't have to receive the gift that God gave me. Who's cheering for that, though? Freedom! We don't have to receive his gift. Well... Okay, but maybe we haven't understood how good he is and how much he would like to bless us. And maybe if we did, we would want to keep the Sabbath in principle. I want to show you for just a minute how the Sabbath could be a blessing to us uh, and a delight to us. Okay. Now, we, we already talked about part of it, and I think there is duty and delight mixed together here, even with flexibility for how it's kept or, or, or how we implement it in principle. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Exodus 16. Remember, the rule was given to them not to gather on the, on the sixth day, or, or on the sixth day they gathered double. They gathered so much food that God would give them each day, and then they gathered more than that for the sixth day because on the seventh day they didn't work. They had enough for that next day, and they were to to be quiet and still and cease from their working on that day. And what we learned then, if you'll remember the the sermon, it's in the overall context that God is providing for them and they were learning to depend on him. They were learning not to gather and hoard and try to take care of themselves, but simply to receive what he was giving and to sit back and say, thank you. You'll give what we need and we can stop and receive from you. And that's the first thing that we want to know about about the Sabbath principle 
is that it is an expression of our dependence upon God. And we will not have good Sabbath rest if we do not have Sabbath trust. That is where we say, God, you are enough and you are good and you're taking care of me. And so I will stop all of my efforts to sustain my own life and I'll let you sustain it. And I'll remember that at least one day in the week, I'll remember that you have it. And I'm going to stop and let you take control. Sabbath says to us that we're not in control of our money. We're not in control of our time. We are all dependents. Man, if God had to fill out tax forms, the dependents would be so many. But then what about the dependents who don't recognize they are dependents? That's many of us, you see. We think we make the world go round. If we don't keep going, if we don't keep moving, if we don't keep blessing people, if we don't keep making money, people aren't going to be blessed. We're not going to make money. The world's going to fall apart. And, and from the start, God built into the life of the Israelite people, no, you stop. And you receive the blessing that I want to give you. And you remember that your life depends on me. Sometimes people question about spiritual disciplines. We talk about spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices you do to invite God in. And they say things like, well, why aren't there more spiritual disciplines in the Bible? And we can talk longer about that. But, but one of the things I want to say to that is there's a spiritual discipline built into the Ten Commandments. <laughs> this is the discipline of stopping to be present to God and to others around you and to say, you are in charge of my life. I do not sustain myself. I want to be present to you. And anybody who learns to do that will receive a great gift. I assure you. So as we start with depending on God. Notice next in our text, the, the, very, the very thing it says uh, in, in, at the beginning in, in verse 8, it says, you keep it holy. The Sabbath day is holy to the Lord. It's very, very important that we remember on our Sabbath observance that we don't just stop. It's not just a mini vacation, but it is kept to the Lord. And we seek to expressly honor God when we stop. We worship God. And we say, thank you, God, for what you've done and for what you're doing. And we keep it not to ourselves. We keep it to the Lord. One of the things that uh, destroys worship and destroys the Sabbath is we think of worship as some kind of boring obligation. And I would encourage you to read through the Bible and notice how often worship is connected to joy. Worship flows from joy and worship creates and extends joy. And anybody who's truly worshiping, entering into God's presence, will be so happy that they won't want to do something else. But you see, that, that's not meant to be like, I, I, hear, I used to hear these things, like people would say, man, if you're not happy worshiping now here, now here on earth, just think about how terrible heaven's going to be. You're not prepared for heaven. And then I was supposed to think of myself as sitting there in a boring church service, and just coming to like it. And that's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about the overall happiness in God where he blesses us and we return thanks for it and we enter into the things that bless us more. Worship flows from that and it's inseparable from delight. I mean, have you ever noticed in the Old Testament how often God commands people to go to parties? I'm serious. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing too. It's okay to laugh, but I'm, I'm, I'm completely serious about this. God commands people to go to parties. Have you noticed about Jesus? When he comes to the earth, what do they accuse him of? They accuse him of partying too hard. Now, I'm not talking about doing anything bad, okay? I'm not talking about doing anything sinful. That's not what Jesus was doing. But they couldn't get their head around this great holy man that everybody was drawn to who was happy enough to party. They didn't expect that. When God gave the Sabbath, he was inviting people, in a sense, to party. Every week to delight in him, not in doing anything wrong, but to delight in him and out of that delight to worship him. In fact, the, the word for rest, when it says God rested, uh, those who know more about this than I do, they, they explain that the word there in Hebrew, that it, it means something not just like rest, it means something like happiness, entering into joy. And did you notice in our text that it was tied to creation, right? There it is, yeah. So if, if you just go back to the creation story, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. That word good there, it has to do with a, a sense of delight, something that strikes you as delightful. That's what God was doing when he saw his creation. He said, it's, it's very good. This thing that I've done is very good. And then... He finishes on the seventh day and he rests and he blesses that day and he enjoys it. This beautiful, beautiful thing that he's done, God sits there and enjoys it. And then he gives us a day and he says, enter my joy. I didn't put this on the, on the uh, PowerPoint for you, but I want you to I want you to pay attention. If you don't have your Bible, pay attention. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 92. This is the Sabbath psalm that's in our Bibles, okay? I don't think there's another one. We have one Sabbath psalm that I'm aware of. And just listen to what it says. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now you just think about this, people who are observing the Sabbath. This is what they're doing. They're singing and they're thinking about what they're doing on Sabbath. It's good to give thanks to you, to sing praises to you, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. I know you may not have been playing on your loop and your heart, your lute and your harp very much lately. But think of what, what would bless you as beautiful music okay, given to the Lord. It's good to listen to that and to play it. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. Now, do you think it might be worth stopping one day of your week and turning to the Lord and singing to him with beautiful music and saying, Lord, you have made me happy? 
But what you have done, you've made me happy. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. You ever sing for joy at the works of God's hands? What are the works of God's hands? Flowers. Fruit. Mountains. You. Your children. I sing for joy. This is what Steve was praying, just naming off all of these, these gifts that surround us. And we stop and we sing for joy at the work of God's hands. You see, on the Sabbath... Okay, so let me tell you how we got into practicing the Sabbath. I didn't get into practicing the Sabbath because I thought I had to. I heard a talk years ago when I was at chapel at seminary and the guy said six days a eat six days a week I eat to live one day a week I live to eat he was talking about the Sabbath now it was a much longer sermon explaining good things that's the line I really remember <laughs> and I went home and I told Olivia I said I think you might want to do this and so we started with fits and starts uh, trying, you know, trying to do it. I still haven't done it perfectly, okay? I'm, I'm here growing in, in this practice with you as I, as I say this. Um, but we started saying, let's see if this might be a good thing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's not all about self-indulgence, okay? It's ultimately about worship. But we delight ourselves in God and we worship on the Sabbath. Let me just read to you. This is what John Ortberg says about the Sabbath. Devote a specific day to acts of celebration so that eventually joy will infuse your entire life. One day a week, eat foods you love. Listen to music that moves your soul. Play a sport that stretches and challenges you. Read books that refresh your spirit. Wear clothes that make you happy. Surround yourself with beauty. And as you do these things, give thanks to God for his wonderful goodness. Reflect on what a gracious God he is to have thought of these gifts. Take the time to experience and savor joy. Then direct your heart toward God so that you come to know he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Nothing is too small if it produces true joy in us and causes us to turn toward God in gratitude and delight. Oh, but we're free. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. <laughs> Maybe so. But man, why don't you want to keep a day like that? And maybe we'd find if we did, we might be catapulted forward in spiritual growth. Because worshiping God is transformative to our lives. And we have tried for too long to separate delighting in God from worshiping God. And we tried to keep rules about worship and think, well, okay, I'm going to do worship and then I can go try to be happy over here. As if God is stingy with the happiness and all he wants is to see if we'll worship him in spite of not being happy. <laughs> this is not the biblical vision of, of worship. Listen, life is hard enough. 
We're not denying that. The Bible doesn't deny suffering and pain and difficulty. There are all kinds of difficulties in life. But you don't have to give over the Sabbath just to, be more, to make life more difficult. Embrace the goodness and joy. And let that flow into worship. We, we, we read the scripture and people often, you've heard this joke, you know. Uh, I don't really sing that much, but I make a joyful noise to the Lord. And people are making fun of their singing abilities a lot of times. But let me tell you, we would be much better off if we placed the emphasis on the joyful instead of on the noise. <laughs> and in light of the fact that God is so good, and we've experienced that goodness, and we have stopped to just let him pour it out on us. And we say, God, I don't, I don't deserve to be here before you, but I want to kneel before you. I want to shout before you. I want to lift my hands before you. I want to pour out worship before you. Because you're so good. Man, we've just got to get used to the goodness of God. The older I get, the more I understand the scriptures and Christian theology, the more I think I just want to proclaim the goodness of God. And the Sabbath allows us to do that. We keep our experience of all the good things in life that we experience even when we don't think about it. Even when we refuse to say thank you, to stop and say thank you. The Sabbath tells us stop and tie that experience of goodness, that experience of pleasure. You tie it to worship. You tie it to the Lord God who's made you. Man, there's so much more I could share with you. This is Acts 14 and 17. God allowed people to walk in their own ways in the past. This is Paul talking. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's what God does. He gives good things. You know, what the Sabbath does when we stop for a day, it's supposed to flow over into all of life. And so every day becomes a day with many Sabbaths, if you want to call it that. We're, we're being reminded to worship and to receive the pleasures of life each day as an expression of the love of God. You see, your coffee is not just your coffee. Your coffee is God's love to you. Your snack in the day is not just what you get to get by. Your snack is God's love to you. This Thanksgiving holiday is one of the big ones it's an expression of God's love to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a beautiful statement about this. And because of time, I don't want to read it all to you. But uh, if you'll skip down there, you'll, you'll see that he says that, that uh, every day, basically taking our table fellowship every day, is pointing us to the Sabbath. The Sabbath as the goal of our life the goal of, of what God is doing uh, in refreshing us. But if you look down towards the end there, he says, God cannot endure the unf that infestive, mirthless, joyless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread with sorrow, with pretentious, busy haste, or even with shame. Through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. See, this is about worshiping God. Not about indulging our flesh, it's about worshiping God. And God reminds us of our daily meals that he is good. Dallas Willard has a very pointed statement. We dishonor God as much by fearing and avoiding pleasure as we do by dependence upon it or living for it. 
Let me just think about that for a minute. What I'm trying to say to you, I'm not trying to say live indulging pleasure, live according to the flesh, by no means. What I'm trying to say is that uh, we embrace the pleasures of life so that we can worship and honor God as we should. In their appropriate place at their appropriate time. The Sabbath is given to us for this and for other reasons. Um, I'm going to close out here. There's just there's a lot more we could talk about this. Maybe sometime we will. But I want to close out. And I just want to remind you that you have an opportunity to embrace this gift. There's flexibility about how you do it. Maybe in an ideal world, I would, I would keep it on Sunday. But I work on Sundays. And uh, sometimes I work hard, even though you may not know it, uh, on Sundays. So, so we don't keep the Sabbath on Sunday. Uh, a lot of Christians do. Um, we don't. My family and I, we do it on Saturday. And I'll tell you what kind of a typical day looks like for us on a Friday evening I come home and uh, we have pizza we sit with the girls and we watch movies or a TV show together I try to not drink Dr. Pepper too often but on a Friday night I pop one open and if I'm feeling crazy I'll pop two of them just this past Friday I did <laughs> and I enjoy it <laughs> we wake up on Saturday morning we take our time Olivia makes us delicious pancakes and then we gather around and we sing we have a Sabbath song we sing and uh, we'll recite some scripture or the Apostles Creed or something like that talk a little bit then we read a book together and uh, we go to lunch, we come home, we might watch a movie, we might take a nap, we might go for a bike ride, we might go for a walk. This is just, this is the typical kind of thing we do on the Sabbath. And uh, we're happy. <laughs> and we're doing it before the Lord, learning hopefully to do it more and more, turning our hearts back to God in thanksgiving. I know it may seem difficult to some of you with your busy lives. I'll tell you this uh, as I close that one of the most busy men I know. Uh, actually, they're going to be here to celebrate Jesus. But uh, uh, wonderful friends of ours, he's a farmer. And if you know anything about farming, you know how stressful and busy you can be as a farmer. And uh, this dear friend was uh, talking with me years ago, some about his struggles, and I encouraged him to start keeping a Sabbath with his family. And he did. And I would simply say to you, that he and his family would testify to you that it is possible and that it is good. And we're not making a law for everybody here. If you dismiss me, I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you because I can't do that. But I would really like to give you a gift today. Um, and I'd like for you to know how beautiful and good it is to live with a day like that in, in your week. In fact, let me share with you what one person, some of this is a guy who teaches a class on, on the Sabbath, and his students responded. One of the students responded like this. I can't imagine that God would want such goodness for me. I know that it is called grace, but I never thought it was supposed to be a part of my week as a regular experience. Would you be open to receiving that grace, trying it out? Let me, let me just invite you as we close up here this morning. Let me invite you... In, uh, praise team, y'all go ahead and come on up, um, please. Um, 
Do it today. Let's leave here right now. If you have the space, if you don't already have something planned, go enjoy food together across the street and try it out this afternoon. Let the rest of your day be a day where you rejoice before the Lord. Do something that you love to do today. Eat something that you love to eat today and do it with thanksgiving to God. You want to do that? All right, try it out today and give God thanks. Thank you.